Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Actual Fluency Podcast. Um, I've got a great episode for you today. I'm really excited to be back. Recently, I've had some internet problems, which has caused a, a sort of slowdown in the production of episodes, but I managed to get a good conversation recorded recently, and I'm glad to produce this episode for you. So we're back with kind of the core theme of the podcast, which is language learner stories. And what really excites me about that is that it gives you the opportunity to hear from other language learners how they got into it and, you know, any kind of experiences uh, they have gotten along the way. Uh, before we dive into today's episode, which is with Dimitrios Polychronopoulos, uh, which I probably butchered that name is a very long name for for me i don't speak uh, greek unfortunately yet um today's episode is, is with him and we're gonna talk about his language learning experience and history and sort of tips and tricks on how to get uh, from the beginning stages into intermediate and advanced how to improve your writing uh, in a foreign language and other tips and tricks that he has come across during his uh, experience of learning lots of languages and traveled to more than 100 countries, I believe. So he really knows his stuff. Um, just a quick shout out this week. I just wanted to say that if you're interested in what Benny Lewis is up to and the language hacking ideas, then you can now pre-order the new language hacking books. And uh, there are some bonuses that await you if you choose to do so. So if you want to check that out, go to actualfluency.com forward slash hacking offer and the best offer you can get which is a little bit ridiculous but if you pre-order a lot of copies of these books you get um, up to five thousand dollars worth of of bonuses which is pretty ridiculous uh, i don't think anyone uh, listening to this is uh, it, you know in that group uh, who's capable of ordering that many books but uh, benny is certainly lashed, uh, dishing out a lot of bonuses if you do choose so i mean even uh, four books which is one of each language German, French, Spanish, and Italian, If you even if you pre-order just one of each, um, then you can get some pretty nice bonuses, I thought. So that's worth checking out. Go to actualfluency.com forward slash hacking offer, and you can see all the details there. And uh, if you live in the UK, the deadline is September 8th. And if you live in the US or Canada, then the deadline is September 29th. And of course, if you don't live in any of those countries, it, it all depends on which Amazon that you ship from. So if you live in Europe, it'll probably be the UK deadline. If you live in, let's say, South America or yeah, I don't know where else you would use Amazon.com. I guess some countries, maybe in Asia, would use it. Um, but anyway, the point is, depending on which Amazon you use, that's the deadline. So go and check that out. I, I, I really like those books and... Um, I'm going to be really using them next year because I'm going to be doing my grand romance languages marathon of trying to speak these three or four. Well, I'll really speak German, but the three others certainly I'd love to do. And I've had a look at the books and, and they really uh, embody this language hacking idea of speaking quickly, learning the vocabulary that you need instead of all these unnecessary things and just getting you speaking very quickly. So that's just a quick plug there. But now back to the regularly scheduled programming, which is the language learner story of Demetrius. So let's let's hear it. The actual Funzi podcast is um, one that tells stories of uh, language learners and 
people who are interested in that area, so industry experts or just people learning a lot of languages or you know part of the community, as you probably know. And the first question I always ask people is kind of what is your language learning story? And so that's that's the one I'd like you to share now is like, how did you get into language learning and, and how did you go from, you know, traveling to so many countries and take us through that journey? Sure. Um, so I, I grew up in the States and um, my dad's side of the family is Greek. And so I had um, already quite a bit of uh, background there just growing up and being around the language. And also my favorite book was always The World Atlas. So I was always just uh, digging into the atlas and snooping around for places I'd dream of going one day. And I'd even start writing lists of uh, languages that they would speak in the countries and say that I'd learn these languages. And people always thought I was crazy. <laughs> uh, I didn't really get a lot of support from anybody um, about that kind of thing, especially being, you know, like 10, 11, 12, 13 year old uh, saying stuff like that doesn't really make sense to most people. So. But, um, yeah, the background with, um, with being Greek and everything, there's a Greek school uh, that they have in the basements of, um, and in some of the facilities of a lot of Greek Orthodox churches in the States. So, so you get some background there as well, the reading and the writing, and you get some, some support there. So you already get your foot into language learning easily enough if you're a part of the Greek community, if you wanted the there's a, there's the support for you and um, then French was the language that I decided to study in high school mm-hmm. and by the third year of French that really really took off because there were some exchange students there from France there were several exchange students from different countries but having two people actually one was from Corsica one from Vendée and being around them almost every day for an entire academic year was was a huge boost for a really uh, improving my French and it made, it was more realistic because the people were my age whereas in the Greek community you'd only get together a little bit and you didn't I didn't really have any Greek neighbors and I didn't there wasn't a lot of, there weren't people really my age around me so so French became a more important language really when I was a teenager and then I got uh, invited to France and spent some time there uh, an entire summer apart after high school graduation and then back again uh, I decided to go back a few months later ended up with a scholarship over there as well to study in Angers Um, and uh, well I started studying Italian um, right as I was finishing high school I kind of started dabbling in Italian as well so by the time I was an adult I kind of had my foot on my feet already in four languages and I just kept going from there awesome and um I, I kind of like that uh, the French story because the the most common French story I hear when I talk to people, because French is obviously a very po- popular high school language in all over the world, is they say, "Yeah, I finished French and I couldn't say a word." <laughs> but you had that you had that uh, support from the the students who who came over and and how was that environment? Were they part of every class and you just? You just kind of saw that foreign element that you'd been drawn to early in your life, and you just kind of snapped on. Or was it? Were all the French students in your in your class 
picking up French as good as you did, or how? Yeah, it actually became a problem because they had four levels of French, and I skipped from the third to the fourth level as I was moving along. The teacher says, "Let's move him along," <laughs> and then I started getting encouraged to take the advanced placement exam because in the states they have this Princeton organization where you get college credit and you could you could get out of exams. You could take exams at the end of the scholastic year, and then if you pass it, you could get college credit and skip classes, and that. Um, And then people save money and time when they're doing university studies in the States if they've passed advanced placement exams. So I was the first one from my high school to ever take that exam and to pass that exam. Wow. And that was quite a strange thing for everybody. Like, wow. Because they, they, they gave recognition to other people studying foreign languages and they gave small scholarships and stuff like that. But I was the only one who actually proved my ability by examination. And um, so nobody else in the French class was learning, and nobody else was really hanging out with the with the French kids as much as I as much as I was. So, wow, that excuse me. So it was yeah, just a power. It was definitely an anomaly, if you will. <laughs> so, okay, well that's interesting because I was just I wasn't sure if if everyone from that class became a a great French speaker. Or it was because you kind of like I said latched on to to that foreign element that you've been drawn to earlier. Yeah, uh, it's more. It was more me. I just found. I just found that it was a nicer ambiance to be with. It was a funner, funner environment, and uh, it was more exciting. Yeah, I know just, what uh, you mean. Yeah, <laughs> I know what you mean exactly. It's it's like when you, when you get someone coming to visit from somewhere else, it's kind of breaking up the, the usual pattern uh, of, uh, of uh, the daily life. So and I totally understand. And that's and the, cool. And the lack of support is. It's something I also just wanted to run past because I can sort of understand why people are not supportive of kids uh, when kids say stuff because at the end of the day, kids say they also want to be Superman, right? Or Batman or something. <laughs> so when kids say they want to learn 20 languages, I can sort of understand people are not being super supportive of that. But what I would say is that it, it, it kind of saddens me that that stays all throughout life, I would say. Um, if people are not in a multilingual environment or in a family where that's kind of been the history, then very often they dismiss the idea completely. If if somebody in uh, what's it say? well in the U.S. probably in, in in the south of the U.S. if you went to your parents and said, and you know you just had completely were American parents with no I mean that's hard not to have an heritage, but let's say it's, it's a few generations throughout and a lot of it is gone, and you just say, well I want to learn five languages, you know. Even as an adult, you probably don't get much support there, which is kind of a shame because people don't believe it can be done, and so they kind of project their own their own uh, ideas on on you. But if we were more supportive, maybe people would be speaking more languages. I don't know. What do you think? I would say that the support is really important, and that's why I'm I'm really encouraged by some of the people like um, like Adwan Challenge. Mm-hmm. For example, I think that's a really good a good way to offer support. If that kind of thing can go into the classroom, then definitely that would be something that could change the attitudes. Um, and you have on your podcast as well. You had uh, uh, in one of your seasons, you you had someone from the Midwest who who was working with uh, with immigrants and such. Mm-hmm. Um, Richard. Richard, um, he he had some amazing things to say about making language relevant as well, um, and he's got some blog posts 
about that. So I think this just needs to become more mainstream, that people need to, educators, shall we say, need to reach out and, and get in touch with these methods. And these methods need to reach out to, to the people as well. Right. Uh, so, so that uh, everything becomes relevant and every, everybody gets encouraged because then it wouldn't be so unusual for people to learn languages and, and people who do learn the languages, um, it would just kind of snowball. So I think that would, instead of like, in my case, I was a little bit of a nuisance to the other French te uh, students, excuse me because they could see that I was the only one who was actually able to speak the language. <laughs> um, and it, it was a bit intimidating for those other people. Of course, it's pride, so, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so I was actually told to kind of calm down uh, in a way. Ugh, not to, not to sp yeah. That's, that's <laughs> just, I mean, that just makes me sad because I experienced a similar thing growing up and it's just, the school system has this stupid idea that if people are really good at something, they should kind of, you know, just sit in the corner and do extra papers or just, you know, you don't want the other students to think they're worse. And it creates this kind of, oh, we're all the same, you know, and I just don't think so. I think, of course, we should help the people who are struggling in a subject. But likewise, I think we should encourage the people who are doing really well and send them on these, you know, um, placements or these uh what do you call them, like rapid paths or, or whatever, because it's a waste of a, like probably you wasted probably a lot of classes sitting there thinking, oh, they're talking about this simple concept again, you know? Yeah. And it's just a waste of your time, really. Um, but I mean, yeah. if, we had to, if we had to dismantle the, the school system and, and uh, you know, point out all the flaws, then we could probably talk for weeks. But I don't know. Do you think language learning is getting more mainstream? Because... Obviously, there's more and more events, and there's more chatter about it. There's more people at the events, but at the same time, I don't, I don't know if I feel a huge change of mentality from the people who aren't already in the community, the people who already know about it. So I don't. Know, what do you think about that? Well, if you look at the Add One Challenge, then you can see that there are some new people encountering it for the first time, and also when you go like at the Polyglot Berlin gathering, uh, one of one of the things was last uh, May. The person who filled up the room the most was Benny Lewis. Yeah. And so I'd already had all this experience with languages before I first heard about Benny Lewis. And then he started peddling the books and such. And I was following along kind of just and not really participating in anything, just kind of as a silent observer. So when I saw what uh, kind of impact Benny can have on, on somebody's motivation and bringing somebody who maybe had failed to learn a language several times uh, and then finally make a breakthrough. Uh, I think that people like that can be very good to to encourage um, foreign language learning in general. I don't know that it's come as far as it's definitely not come as far as I'd like it to, but at least it's made some first steps because these are like uh, Brian Kwong and and Benny Lewis are two individuals that I can explicitly point to who have actually. If it hadn't been for them, perhaps that person still would be without uh, the language learning that they have today. That those those followers, those people who have who have actually made those improvements, may have otherwise not not been able to make a breakthrough. Yeah, and you can point that. You can even point that further back to someone like Richard and 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 Alex, who created the first conference in Budapest, where yeah. 
uh, where Brian got the idea for the I One Challenge, but also that's when it that's when it became real in a way because before people were just sitting in their you know in the little bedroom or whatever dimly lit and 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 studying their old dusty teach yourself you know <laughs> but yeah. um but when when i think it was about 100 people or something like that met in budapest uh, unfortunately i couldn't make it because i didn't know the word polyglot at the time and i <laughs> had never even <laughs> i didn't even know this was a thing um but um that's a funny aside but that's yeah. kind of where it started, right? Um, yeah, it's funny. I was not a part of it at all. And then I found out, I saw the BBC had posted a, a video of Alex Rawlings. And I thought it was the coolest thing. Um, the and then the I park? started looking into it. It was the one where he speaks in Catalan and he speaks in Afrikaans and Dutch and Greek. And yeah, it's a great Russian video, and, so, and it was just, it was subtitled, of course. I just thought it was the coolest thing. And that's when I finally started looking into it. And I managed to make it to last year's Polyglot gathering so that's when i started really being a part of it and being more interested so now i've i've been trying to think of what kind of contribution i can make as well and trying to come up with something new not just to repeat the same old stuff that's already out there so that's cool and what kind of what do you take as as someone who did a lot of the language learning before you found out there were other people doing it compared to someone like me who learned about it and then started doing it it's kind of funny. In some ways, I feel I missed some ground, but that's okay. There's always time to catch up. It gives me time. It had given me time to look back and try to reflect a bit on what um, what was all out there. So I was basically doing an MBA here in Oslo, where I live at the time that uh, that I learned about it all. And then I I was still doing the MBA when I attended the Polyglot gathering in Berlin, and then finally graduated and then started looking at things. And we even had an entrepreneurial course, uh, which we did. It was a modular MBA program, so a total of six modules and a consul um, consultancy project. So we did a, um, a module in Berkeley on entrepreneurship and innovation, and I've attended a variety of workshops like design thinking and so on. So I'm trying to put this uh, together as something, else, something for, um, for more advanced people. So I've, I started blogging in my eight best languages, shall we say, and it's a new, it's a new thing. I did present it a bit in um, in Berlin at the gathering as one of the startup uh, um, activities. They had the the startup uh, uh, lightning talks. Yeah, but I spent a lot of my time uh, talking to the audience and and finding out how they currently have their writing corrected and so forth, and wrote some posts about it. And I. My goal is to continue to post about once a week as a minimum, but more importantly is to try to bring others in so that I want to encourage them to post as well and not necessarily in their best language, but in, in another language and then encourage others to come in and correct and so on. I'm not sure if uh, I'm onto something or if it's, it's um, <laughs> not the right direction. They also say that entrepreneurs have to pivot a lot and I haven't even gotten past the test users yet, so I, I'm I'm focusing on getting a group of, let's say, up to 30 people together. Each one would write a post, and each one would correct a post and provide feedback on how the site looks and its user um, friendliness and so forth, so I can make some improvements and and move along uh, from there. It's really it's kind of stuck at the moment, but I guess that's the typical thing of of something new. It takes a while to gain some traction. Of course, and you 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 can never know you can never predict what people are going to, if they're going to use it or not until you've actually given it that time and shown everyone and say, Hey, 
this is my idea, would you like to try it out? And after a significant amount of time, you know whether or not it's something that people would be up to. Um, there are a few things there I wanted to touch upon as well. Uh, first of all, the idea of improving beyond the intermediate stages, or I think you said advanced, but you know, going into the advanced stages anyway. Um, do you think that that is a very underrepresented, <laughs> underrepresented area of language learning? And and if so, do you have any ideas on on how people can 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 do that easier? Yeah, let's um, let's first talk about your question on being underrepresented. It's definitely underrepresented, even even by nature. When people are studying a language, obviously, if they get to A two um, and then move on to another language, for a variety of reasons, maybe they're living in a country for a short short period of time, or or taking a language class, or or something. It could be something like somebody's with someone and then they break up, so they're learning the language and then they end up breaking up and and then they stop uh, having interest in it. It could be that they have a, a short assignment working with certain people or traveling to a certain country. So it's only normal that the beginning level has a lot of material out there and it's easier to also reach the beginning level. And then you get to the, um, the theory of uh, diminishing returns. So you just the more you're just spending all this extra time and you just don't see the efforts paying off once you once you're getting into the upper intermediate level, mm-hmm. it just goes on and on. It's like a never-ending story, <laughs> especially with a really complicated language like Chinese, for example, which is, is the most difficult language I've ever personally experienced because uh, with, with all my background in European, Chinese language would be so different and so difficult for me. But I have a feeling that I'll never break out of the upper intermediate level no matter what unless I go back to to the Far East and live there again and, and really put all that effort into it. But I'm just basically maintaining it and and so on. Because well, the question yeah. is, do you need to be like super high level in Chinese? I mean, if you get all the benefits of being the level you are now without, well, okay, possibly you couldn't work as a Chinese interpreter, but unless you want to do that, then maybe actually the the effort of going to that level is just so high that, like you said, the uh, diminishing returns just get so high that maybe it's not worth the effort at all, um, depending on what your goals are, of course. I mean, every everyone's different, and there are people who want to to be uh, interpreters or uh, translators who need that high technical knowledge. But if somebody's listening out there and says, I, I just want to learn to speak it, I guess they don't need to, to worry too much about getting to a, a high C1 level anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Most people, even myself, unless, like I say, suddenly I find myself living back there again. Sure. Then, then I, I just, at least I'm maintaining it. I'm doing stuff. Uh, so I, I use it a little bit here and there um, every month. So it doesn't just disappear. So it's, it maintains its its level, shall we say. Yeah. For other languages, um, it's just easier. It's just a lot easier to. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you were if you were Chinese if you were um, Cantonese and you're working on Mandarin, it must be so much easier as well. Uh, just like for me to work on another European language and to maintain it at a high level or to reach that higher level, it's just not that difficult, shall we say? Right. Uh, Chinese is just particularly hard. <laughs> well, we can talk about the the writing in just a second, uh, but I just wanted to talk about. Let's say I was, uh, well, I haven't quite learned French yet. I had it a bit in school, and it's on my, let's call it five-year plan, where I want to learn it within the next five years. 
And let's say I made it to um, uh, an intermediate level and, and I was kind of feeling a little bit stuck. What would be some of your tips to take me from, let's say, you know, the between B1, B2 up to, to that really good C1 level? Yeah, for French, uh, for French in particular, I would definitely say get yourself to France. And, <laughs> yeah. and uh, yeah, definitely there's nothing like that. And to be completely immersed in it. It was so wonderful living in France and, and having that. Because I was already at a, quite a good level before I ever set foot in the country. But then being, being surrounded by it every single day was just amazing. And I just found myself completely thinking in it and being very spontaneous in it. And, and it was just great. People didn't really know where I was from. Um, when they heard me speaking or anything, it was it was more like I could just be a local and blend in, and it was it was a wonderful experience. But without living there, I think that's very difficult to, at least personally, I don't see how someone would would do it. But that's my own my own experience is getting really to a high level requires living in the country. That's all right. That's all right. And I was just, what is it? I, yeah, I'm I'm thinking. Is it because we're? Is it because it's just such a workload, and we need that kind of we need superhuman motivation to actually put in that kind of workload? Unless we are in the country where we kind of where the brain says, "Well, you are here anyway, so you kind of need to do it." Where if we're sitting yeah. in Wisconsin, we're like, "Well, why should I learn French? You know, why should I study to become great at French if I use it? You know, every six months at a conference or something?" Yeah, that's a good point because. There's a huge difference between living in one spot and then the language, you know, you could you could try to create your own mini environment, shall we say. But it's always going to be kind of fake and limited. But when you're really in the environment itself, just every little thing that happens and it all builds up and, and you become more fluent, you, you become your whole attitude uh, changes and you start taking on and understanding a lot more cultural issues as well, whereas the cultural issues aren't as in, uh, deeply involved when you're learning a language. As you get more and more into the intermediate level, you get a lot of different books that will talk about culture as well. And you can start getting into the cultural issues with it. But there's such a strong connection. Of course, French being a, a particular language, um, being spoken not only in France, but also in some parts of Switzerland, the southern part of Belgium, and also being the language of, of Quebec and so on. Also, parts of West Africa, it's it's also depending on where people are going to be using the French, what kind of contact or what kind of professional atmosphere they have. Maybe they're on, only going to be using it for Canada, and then they have to focus on that version of French. Yeah, which is also well. a totally interesting side note there. I, I, was, I was just there in Montreal. And uh, it's 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 a, a very interesting form of French. Uh, you know, for someone who doesn't speak it, of course, I I can't catch all the the, the small differences. But it just it sounds very different, and and uh, and I could obviously re understand most of the reading because it's so close to English, and I've studied it before. But it was funny to hear that I talked to my uh, Airbnb host, and he said for many years people in in Quebec province would actually be taught using French French uh, language learning books so the materials in schools would be from France and then they would go out of the classroom and they would speak 
Quebec French. <laughs> so uh, I mean, that's happened very recently. He said it, that it's ridiculous, really. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I did um, some studies for Spanish at an intermediate and advanced language level in Montevideo, and unfortunately had a lot of uh, textbooks from different places, but none from Rio de la Plata. <laughs> and you might know that the dialect spoken in Buenos Aires and in in um, and also in Montevideo is revolving around the use of vos rather than tu. Uh, so, el voceo. So, you have a complete different conjugation here. Yeah. And and it's ridiculous that you'd be exposed to textbooks saying, tu puedes, when the real people out on the street are going to say, vos podes. Right. And um, it's just it's just not right, in my opinion. Everybody needs to be exposed to the the dialect where they're going to be, and the materials need to be available. Uh, in fact, that's a funny example because I, my first experience with learning Chinese, I was living in Kaohsiung, Taiwan, and I was using materials from Beijing. <laughs> and so I was going out saying something like, "我会说北京话," and then the people would be saying on the street like, "我会说国语." <laughs> so uh, it was it was a silly silly example, but I just basically had to use the materials. It was the only thing I had, and get over it. Yeah, uh, and and people would make it so that okay, you're they would basically be telling me. At first, of course, I had no idea, but I caught on quite quickly that people were saying that my accent was emulating the Beijing dialect rather than the way Mandarin spoken in Taiwan. So right, and would that have a negative association? Like you're trying to sound like you're from the big city or something? Uh, just ridiculous more than anything, <laughs> and okay. and so people thought it was funny and. And it didn't take me long to get over it. Um, and then it was fun when I finally went to Beijing uh, about two years later. I, I, you know, I already very familiar with the Beijing accent and so forth. And I could run around the streets a little bit speaking in that way, kind of adding that er sound onto the end of a lot of things. And, you fit and right such. in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was overall, it was a fun experience. And, and there's nothing wrong with getting some extra in, but. It's good to be completely aware uh, of what you're doing if your materials are limited and you just want to get on with it and learn. Yeah. Then at least at least you're learning rather than sitting around not not knowing anything. For sure. Do you do you use any uh, tutors or teachers when you when you're in learning mode, or do you prefer to uh, just use the support of something like Add One Challenge and and do it on your own? Yeah, now the, yeah, the Add One Challenge I've done for two languages. Um, so I was at a maybe an A2 version of Dutch and an A2 version of of Norwegian when I first got into Add One Challenge. I didn't do them both at the same time. First I did Norwegian, and then I did Dutch, and I definitely find that um, it's a great community, and it definitely pushed the ability into a higher level. And I definitely had people notice it. Norwegians definitely noticed that I had made a huge jump in my Norwegian and and when I was visiting in the Netherlands family was telling me as well wow uh, what an improvement um, you've made from a few months ago with Dutch so um, before those times obviously we didn't have the add one challenge so long ago so I would just basically like with the Dutch language I had in Amsterdam I'd grabbed some books uh, like contact which has a few CDs and another one, uh, uh, Nederlands for Self-Study. Um, and so I was basically just listening to that a lot, a lot of passive learning, 
and just a lot of listening, listening, listening. For Norwegian, I did a class, an intensive class, and then I just went on my own with some of the material that was available online, like NTNU has a very good uh, course for getting people up to B1, and uh, some the textbook Nui Norge also had some materials for for you to use online, and then I just continued going to the library, getting some CDs, getting some books, and I would have a tendency, and I still do today, to put something in like in the old days it was a cassette tape in a walkman and now it's downloading this stuff onto uh onto the onto the device and then just listening to it on the go and just listening to it. you might be working out walking whatever doing errands and you just listen and you just take things in you at the very beginning stage you you might not know most of anything at all but you just familiarize yourself with the sound of the language mm-hmm. And then eventually you start to pick up more and more words, and then you know exactly where one word is ending, the next word is beginning, and you just keep moving in that way. And eventually you you build up a, a great ability to listen, and eventually that passes on to speak to speaking. And um, Link is one of my favorites. It doesn't have the support in all the languages, but like Norwegian is lacking. They have quite a bit of Swedish, but not not so much Norwegian. So I kind of use that when I'm in the mood. I use that for many, many languages at different levels, and I find I find that great. And he's made some. Uh, Steve Kaufman's made some great improvements, so that now with the Chinese, you're getting the simplified and the complex character, and you're getting the pinyin. Wow! Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And the listening thing is something that I recently got into because there was always this great divide on uh, in the polyglot community that seemed to be when I was trying to find out whether I should take this, some call it the silent period, some call it, uh, you know, the listening period, the SML has a two, uh, the uh, passive period. And there's always people saying like, well, that's stupid. Why would you want to waste, you know, some time where you don't understand any of it? And then there were some people saying, like you say, that it actually is helping shape your brain in that language. So you understand the pronunciation, you understand the sound of the language, the melody of the language. And so what I did recently to test this out, you know, I'm all about experimentation. Um, I've got the Harry Potter Hungarian one. The first one is not a long book. And I know other people uh, like to use the Harry Potter series for for improving their their reading uh, in, in foreign languages. But what I did was I just took the audio book and I had the physical book as well. And so I just listened really actively. So instead of just kind of, you know, walking around and because if, if I do that, I, my mind drifts like really easy. And I don't know if other people have this problem, but it's really hard for me to listen to something I don't understand because then my mind would just start wandering and eventually just be like white noise, you know. And likewise, if I had only the book or the text and I tried to read it without understanding anything, I would get really bored after like, five minutes but by actively listening and just following along in the book with my finger just every single word i really think it's improving my hungarian and i don't understand much of it yet but that's not really the point of doing this exercise i think it's not about building your vocabulary right away it's a kind of a i feel like it's an upfront investment in your long-term language ability and i'd rather spend a little bit more time uh, building that foundation instead of just going out and learning you know, 20 touristy phrases that I can throw around like 
a beach ball you know if that makes any sense <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no that's really cool and like in link there's no hungarian so you found a way to kind of exactly. emulate that uh at least at least you're doing the reading and the active listening because there is a definitely a difference um i sometimes when I, I of course then you have to have complete focus you can't just be involved in errands or walking down the street or whatnot you know but um i i find that that's a great thing to do i just don't do it as often as i'd like link is the laziest way to do it because <laughs> it's all set up for you you have so much material and then you just pull up something and you can just i mean there's some of the stuff like you can get a whole jules verne sometimes i'm just in the mood to spend a half hour on link up I'll, i'll do it in french Uh, for 15 minutes and then the very same chapter in Dutch. It's right. always Jules Verne, like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea or something. And in the French, maybe there's one or two words in the whole chapter that is, is brand new to me. And then in Dutch, of course, it's like 30% of the vocabulary is <laughs> unfamiliar. But it's just um, it's just fun. Uh, and That's of important. Course, any, yeah, you keep it fun. Yeah, you have, to, you have to like it. And I definitely try to find anything that I like rather than to make it torture. It always has to be something fun. Yeah, and I got the Harry Potter book for two reasons. First of all, because the Harry Potter series, which I read quite uh, furiously when they came out, was one of the, uh, you know, one of the best fiction, some of the best fiction I've ever read. You know, I was a, I was an English major in, in 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 college, and that those kind of classics never really interested me much. Um, so. I was more like, yeah, yeah, Harry Potter, I could read all night. You know, when I got the new one, I would read it in like 12 hours in one sitting. Uh, wow. But but give me something like Jules Verne. For me, that would take me months and probably never get it done. I'd probably start skimming and get on cliff notes and, you know, all this stuff. <laughs> um, but I know the, the, good, the good thing about Harry Potter is I've read it in English, so I know the story. And I've also seen yeah. the movies, of course, but I know the story. So the brain actually gets some help some a little bit of cheating which means that it can sometimes guess the meaning of words that you've never heard never seen just through kind of i guess analytical deduction of what the other words around it means and of course yes i'm learning how to say wizard and witch which isn't that useful in <laughs> daily uh life but you ha if you ha if you're living your life you kind of have to speak about your interests right so you can speak about Harry Potter series, and I'm sure I can find Hungarian people who also enjoy it. And it's a steady increase in difficulty because the first book is, you know, it's I think it's like 250 pages or something. And one of the other books is like 700 pages. So you, you get that. And they also get older, so the language grows up a little bit too. Um, so for me, it's just a, it's just a, a perfect... Uh, kind of listening exercise to improve my my listening, which is something that I didn't do for Russian, which means that I, which meant that I didn't have a very good Russian pronunciation. And you'd think, hmm, how are they related? But what I realized was, if you can't hear how things are supposed to be said, how are you ever going to reproduce them? And my tutor was saying something. It was probably the the SH letter, you know, sure, uh, mm. which is. S sounds for Danish people is like impossible. Don't try to make us say something like, you know, the place where animals are, are being displayed. That's, that word is impossible. Um, so basically she was saying this, the difference and I was like, there's no difference in my ear. But that's obviously because I didn't have enough exposure to the language to actually realize there was a difference. And only wow. then could I say the, the different pronunciation. Yeah, it's amazing. We'll never run out of um, languages where there are sounds that 
the normal person's just not familiar with. I know some super duper linguists uh, out there will will know every single sound that exists in every language of the world probably, but but most of us um, sometimes you just find some language that's way out there that like you said i guess the letter the z in zoo uh, you say in yes i would say if i if i didn't try to uh, say it, I'd, in, i'd just say zoo danish well in danish we call it that's almost like the it's almost like the zug yeah it's in, like the train in german right yeah it's probably similar <laughs> but yeah, yeah it's, it's terrible zoo, it's zoo. Yeah. people make fun of wow. me for that but Whatever. The, that's you know the limitations of my my abilities anyway. <laughs> in Europe, I think the hardest sounds for me are the Slavic, uh, especially the the Russian sh and the sh. Yeah. Something I, I I don't think I've really gotten that good with this. I that was exactly the, the one. Ch, I, the sh and the sh. That was exactly the one I had trouble with, and I end up sounding like Chinese. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, I go to the sh. Sure, sure. And it's like, no, no, that's too far, you know. <laughs> but, but anyway, I wanted to uh, just uh, quickly before we wrap up here, I wanted to just talk about writing as well, because that's something that you obviously are very interested in. And, and it's something that is sometimes glossed over a little bit. And when people are saying they're learning a language and they say, oh, I just want to learn how to speak. And I think for many people, that's that's a fine goal. But what do you recommend if if, let's say, I've studied Russian and I, I can speak it somewhat, but when I start to write, I feel like I'm hitting my head against the wall. Like what, what are the next steps I need to take to go from that initial beginner speaking level to develop some kind of writing ability? Do I just have to write or are there some methods or, or techniques I can use to, to make that a little simpler? Yeah, back in the pre-digital days when I was in the Soviet Union, I stayed there for three months and I was inten very intensively studying Russian. I was um, using Ruski Yazik Delavsiech, if you've been exposed to that book. No. It was a very Soviet book. And of course, <laughs> one of the words you learn in it is Tovarich. Tovarich. And so comrade. on. The comrade. But um, I was writing all kinds of exercises. And I always was fascinated by Russian cursive. Uh, oh, so exercises, exercises, and my host family would correct my writing and so forth. I have lots of... I still have the the book, the the workbook, and it has all this red everywhere. It's so easy to make so many mistakes. Um, I haven't really gotten beyond that level of Russian. I kind of my Russian's still kind of alive, but it's not. Uh, it's never really been that good, and it's and it probably never will get that good. But if you were to want to improve a lot, then I would probably recommend Lung Eight uh, mm -hmm. for the, the upper upper beginner and into the intermediate stages because you just uh, have your writing corrected. I use it sometimes for Norwegian and they've allowed now to have two languages so I started using it for Dutch as well and then I don't know if my website will take off uh, to the point that it becomes a source as well for people who want to go beyond long eight because that's the whole idea is for once you're once you've kind of outgrown long eight and you still want to write like a whole article, let's say 500 words or more, uh, you still have a long way to go when you're able to write an article for the first time. Uh, it's so easy to, to have awkward constructions and, and strange, uh, strange things. Even, gra um, even punctuation changes, excuse me, with each language. Oh, yeah. So what you, might, what you might consider a correct use of a punctuation, you might be a master at one language with the punctuation uses. Suddenly, 
in an, in another language. You just wouldn't be using commas and the clauses and so forth the same way. So it, it, yeah. that's another example of a never-ending story. But what was, uh, what was your website again? Uh, just so people know uh, where to go and check it out. Yeah, it's yozzi.com. So it's y-o-z-z-i.com, y-o-z-z-i.com. Awesome, and then people can go over and uh, you know make their own judgment about whether they think the the concept is is good or or bad, and they can let you know. And I've seen this kind of uh, multilingual vlogging before, um, just uh, you know individuals doing it. Of course, it's a lot of work if you want to do all your blogging in eight different languages. But if people could somehow get together and and contribute interesting articles and then work on the review aspect as well, maybe that's a good teaching exercise too to try and find the errors um i don't know it's uh, i guess time will tell <laughs> that's what i was thinking as well it, time will tell as well and then the, and then maybe just some different it might end up pivoting into something else you never know so yeah well it's always good to stay dynamic and and fluid in in the in every business i guess or language learning is no different so yeah, so we're going to meet in Greece, I guess, in uh, yeah, Thessaloniki. Yeah, two months away. Two months away. It's going to be... I'm super excited uh, about Thessaloniki. Uh, I mean, I was at the uh, conference last year in New York, and that was you know amazing. And uh, I can't wait to see what they do this time in, in Thessaloniki. Obviously, a very different location than in the middle of Manhattan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry I missed out on that one last year. Uh but anyway, it's good that the ones I do get to participate in, I'm really grateful for. So yeah, and you can uh, you can uh, lead the way in Greek. So if I look uh, confused of having absolutely <laughs> zero Greek uh, knowledge, then uh, you can always help me uh, around and order the uh, the food and everything. <laughs> and the act Thessaloniki is different. The L is produced at the back of the of the mouth rather than at the top of the mouth, like it is in southern Greece. Oh, really? So it's like Thessaloniki. Instead of Thessaloniki, Thessaloniki, and uh, it's a bit more of an impact maybe from Slavic because you think of the la from the from the Slavic languages as well. Yeah. So that's interesting. You might you might catch that when you're there. Yeah, it's going to be great. I, I always love to meet everyone, and uh, you know, there's kind of a a core group who always goes to all these events, and and it's funny to catch up with uh, you know friends and and get all that motivation i just feel like i feel so pumped when i come home from one of these events you know <laughs> that's cool <laughs> just gotta get home yeah. to the books and uh, and keep studying it's gonna be exciting I'm really looking forward to it it's going to be overwhelming though because there are gonna be so many people and it's just it's just impossible to meet everyone so. oh yeah unfortunately but that's why we have to go to we have to keep going every year so hopefully the percentage of people you know gets lower and lower <laughs> <laughs> or the percentage of people you don't know <laughs> yeah. whatever people understand but thank you so much for for coming out to the show and i'm glad that we could could make this happen in, in spite of internet problems and uh and other uh disturbances so, so thank you for sharing your story and your your passion for the language learning I really appreciate it thank you chris thanks a lot it's been a pleasure being your guest all right thanks take it easy you Bye -bye. too Thank you so much for listening to the Actual Fluency Podcast. If you want to come onto the podcast and share your language learning story, don't hesitate to apply on actualfluency.com forward slash guest. See you in the next one.